Okay, so tonight's question is going to uh, be based on a question which um, I was dealing with, I think, last week, Erev Shabbos, if I remember correctly, maybe the week before Erev Shabbos. <coughs> and it had to do with somebody, um, a, um, a woman was sending food to her married daughter for Shabbos. That was the plan. And it was being sent, uh, one of her other daughters, let's say daughter number two, was going to be going to her older sister for Shabbos. Daughter number two is no longer religious. And, uh, but she was supposed to take the food and go to her older sister and get there in time for Shabbos. But as these things go, she was running late. And therefore, it was half an hour before Shabbos or so, and she hadn't left yet, and she had an hour and a half to drive. So the fact that she's going to be driving on Shabbos, so okay, it, it's not it's not what we want, obviously. But you know, she, whatever the mahalach is with her, that she's going to go ahead and she's going to be driving. We're not going to step in the way. We're not going to you know uh, undo the battery or something so she can't drive there. That's not the that's not going to be effective. The woman who called me though, her concern was the fact that there's a halacha, which we're going to see, that if malacha is done on Shabbos, one isn't allowed to benefit from that malacha. So she was worried that she's sending daughter, um, food to her older daughter, and if that food is going to be driven there on Shabbos by her younger daughter, maybe she should tell her older daughter, you know what, when number two shows up with the, with the food, you should know that you're not allowed to eat it. I said, is she counting on that food for Shabbos? She said, yes, I made her Shabbos. So <laughs> this is something which is pretty important to be able to have that food. So I, uh, uh, we, we won't go into all of the details related to that specific Shiloh and that specific scenario, but it is a good opportunity to, uh, to explore a little bit what's called Misa Shabbos, what's referred to in halachic literature as Misa Shabbos, as benefiting in general from Malacha, which is, uh, which is done on Shabbos. Now, over the years, we have spent a lot of time discussing the halachas of when a Gentile, when a non-Jew does Malacha on Shabbos, whether or not you're allowed to benefit from that Malacha. But here we're taking it to a new level. And here we're talking about benefiting from a Jew who does Malacha on Shabbos. Are you allowed to benefit? Are you not allowed to benefit? Does it matter who the beneficiary is, doesn't matter, on Shabbos, after Shabbos. So we'll try and explore all of this, and we'll see a fascinating uh, disagreement at the end. So don't leave early. You don't want to miss it. Okay, so this sugya, this discussion, appears in a number of places in Shas, but we're going to take one of them, one of the places where it appears, specifically because of what the follow-up in the Gemara is to that debate. But here we go. I should probably share screen, otherwise I'm going to be talking to myself or reading by myself. Bam, there it is. Okay, I see it, I see it flash in front of all of you now. Okay, Ditsanan. So we're in source number one over here. So it says, the Mishnah teaches, Hamavasho b'Shabbos. Somebody goes out and cooks on Shabbos. This is a Jew, cooks on Shabbos. Bishoge Yochal. So if he didn't realize that he was doing was cooking, so you're allowed to eat the food, no problem. B'mezid. If the Jew knew what he was doing and did it intentionally in violation of Shabbos, lo yochal div Reb Meir, so Reb Meir says you're not allowed to eat. So Reb Meir says that everything revolves around whether it was done intentionally or inadvertently. If it was done intentionally, you're not allowed to eat it. If it was done inadvertently, you're allowed to eat it. Reb Yudah Omer, Reb Yudah says, b'shogeg yochal b'motzai Shabbos. 
he says he's more stringent. He says if the food was cooked inadvertently, the per- person didn't realize that it was Aser. So then he's allowed to eat the food, but not till after Shabbos. Can't get benefit from it on Shabbos itself, so he'd have to be, wait till after Shabbos. B'meizid, and if it was done intentionally in violation of Shabbos, lo yochalolamis, the food is Aser forever. Not allowed to eat it ever, not on Shabbos, not after Shabbos. Opinion number three, that if the food was cooked inadvertently, so other people are allowed, those for whom it was not cooked, but other people are allowed to eat it after Shabbos, so it's a double chumrah. It can't be eaten until after Shabbos, and it can't be eaten by the person for whom it was cooked, you could give it to your neighbor, and your neighbor could eat it after Shabbos, but you're not allowed to eat it on Shabbos. And that's if it was done b'shogeg. That's if it, if it was done inadvertently. And b'mezid, and in the event that it was done intentionally in violation of Shabbos, lo yochal olamis, lo lo v'lo Nobody's allowed to eat it, not the person for whom it was cooked, nor anybody else. Cannot uh, get benefit from it whatsoever. So we have three opinions amongst the Tanaim about what exactly are the parameters of this Isser. Spoiler alert, we're going to go like the middle opinion called, uh, which is Rabbi Yehuda's opinion, who says that inadvertently you can eat it after Shabbos. Intentionally, you're not allowed to eat it ever. But that's not our focus yet. Tani Tanaka made the Rav. So Rav was one of the early Amoraim. You have the, the era of the Tanaim, those are the rabbis in the Mishnah. And then you have the era of the Amoraim, that's the rabbis in the Gemara. So Rav sort of straddles a little bit those two, uh, those two eras. But somebody came along and cited and presented the following b'risa before Rav. So he says, Somebody cooks on Shabbos. If it was done inadvertently, so you're allowed to eat it. If it was done intentionally, you're not allowed to eat it. So that is, if you look at the earlier opinions which we have, that is the opinion of Reb Meir. So somebody quoted a b'risa which follows Reb Meir's opinion. Rav. And Rav told him, Shah, you're not allowed to say this b'risa anymore. I don't want to hear this b'risa in the base Medrash anymore. You're not allowed to teach this. That's a very strong response from Rav. It's not, as the Gemara is going to say, it's not simply that he disagreed, but he didn't allow this text, not that it was written text as of yet, but he didn't allow them to teach it in the base matters. So the Gemara asks, my time of Mashtikle, so why did Rav have such a strong opposition to this teaching? If it's because he holds a more stringent opinion, which is Rabbi Yehuda, who says that if it was done bishogeg, you can't eat it till after Shabbos, and if it was done intentionally, you can't eat it ever. So vitana tani kireb meir, and this person citing the brayso was citing a brayso like another opinion, like the lenient opinion of Reb Meir. So if that was the case, so why why is Rav getting all uptight about this? Mishum So granted, Rav holds like Reb Yehuda. But just because somebody else holds like, like Reb Meir, so that's a reason to silence him. There's plenty of room for lots of dissenting opinions in Klal Yisrael. And there's no reason to silence him just because he's expressing another opinion. It's another opinion. And says the Gemara, and furthermore, since when does Rav hold like Reb Yehuda? Rav Chanabar Ami said, out of control that when Rav was in the base Medrash teaching his students, 
Mori Luhuka Reb Meir. So he would go ahead and he would teach them like Reb Meir. So when he was in the base Medrash learning with his Talmidim, so he would teach them like the opinion of Reb Meir. That's the more stringent opinion. But then when he went on scholar in residence somewhere, off to Lakewood or to Miami or something like that, so then, hint, hint, so Darish Reb Yehuda, so then he would go ahead and he would teach them like the more stringent opinion, which is like Rabbi Yehuda. So here we have just in and of itself, we have this interesting thing that Rav would teach his students uh, uh, in the base Medrash, like the lenient opinion of Reb Meir. And then when he would go off his scholar in residence, he would teach the, the Balabatim, he would teach his, uh, his congregants and whatnot, the more stringent opinion like Reb Yehuda. And the Gemara goes on to explain, which we don't have, uh, I don't have that over here because it's too much to read, but the Gemara says that really Rav held like Reb Meir, he held like the lenient opinion like Reb Meir, but he was afraid that if he was to publicize that, people would misunderstand, and they would end up cooking intentionally and just say, oh, no, 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 it was the Shogeg, I forgot, I didn't didn't remember that, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, I didn't remember what it was, whatever it will be, and they'll try and rationalize doing it on purpose, so therefore, as a precautionary measure, when he taught the halacha to people who wanted to know halacha lemaisa, he taught them the more strict opinion, even though he himself really hold like the more uh, lenient opinion. Rabbi okay. Shaffold? Yes. He, he, I understand this, uh, this discussion has to do with food that is being cooked, but this case that you have cited is not where the food, it, it's apparently the cook, food is already cooked. It's whether... The, bringing it somewhere and breaking Shabbos to to bring it would be the problem. It may be uh, the reason I'm asking this question is that there may be uh, some other reason that daughter number two was coming to daughter number one, not specifically. It was not like this case, which is where you're cooking the food and that's the purpose this might be that she's going to visit her sister and and by, while she's doing it she's bringing the food so it's not the it's not may not be the primary purpose of this malacha uh the food i mean it it may be a different there may be a different purpose for it right so th- th- there's um i can understand what you're saying in two ways in both those ways we're going to address, one earlier and one a little bit later. So we're, we're getting to, I think, both of your points. Okay? Good. Thank okay. you. So the first thing we want to know is, which way do we pass in? So as you said, there's three opinions about how lenient we are or stringent we are with regards to food which is cooked on Shabbos. So the Beis Yosef says, Upasaka Yehuda. So the riff holds like Reb Yehuda. That's the one who says on Shabbos, you're not allowed, if it was done by Shogi, you can't have it until uh, Mosai Shabbos. If it was done intentionally, you're not allowed to benefit from the food ever. And the Rambam also paskins like this middle opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. And then the Beis Yosef quotes a long discussion of other Rishonim and whatnot and how they weigh in on this. And then again, this is just instructive just because you get to see how the Beis Yosef, the system he set up for himself for deciding halacha. So here's an example where we get to see it explicitly. He says, halacha. Now, if you want to know what the halacha is, 
Kevan Shaharif, Veharamba, Veharash, Maskimim Vedas Achas. Once you have these big three opinions, the Rif, the Rambam, and the Rush all agreeing with the same opinion that we paskin like Rabbi Yehuda, the Gama Gaoni Varamban Sovrin Kane, and just to add icing on the cake, the, Ra- the Ramban, Nachmanides, as well as the Gaonim, who are before the Rishonim, they also say that we paskin like Rabbi Yehuda, Hachinaktinan, so this is the way we're going to paskin. But the main thing is, is the Beis Yosef had set up a system, he said in his introduction, that he's going to take the big three poskim, the Rif, the Rambam, and the Rosh, and whenever he could get two out of three from, uh, from amongst those three opinions, that's the way he's going to poskim. So here he's got a threefer. He's got the hat trick going on. So certainly we're going to go ahead and we're going to poskim like this, uh, this hat trick. Okay, now to the first thing that you said, Bob. Now we go back a generation to the tour. And he says, "V'yira she'ein chilat b'chol ma'isa Shabbos," and that's where the phrase comes from. So the tour comes along. So the Gemara, as Bob correctly pointed out, the discussion in the Gemara relates specifically to somebody cooking food on Shabbos. So taking food from a raw state, cooking it so that it's now in an edible state, and the question is, are you going to be allowed to enjoy that food or not? Says the tour. It seems to me that although the specific example presented or discussed by the Tanaim was cooking on Shabbos, that there's no difference in regards to any malacha which is done on Shabbos. That regardless whether or not a person cooked or whether a person sifted or a person did borer or whatever malacha that a person did, a person treated hides, whatever a person happened to uh, to do, they, they weave a garment. So whatever it is, it's all going to be the same parameters as far as whether you're allowed to benefit from it on Shabbos, are you allowed to benefit from it after Shabbos, all malachas are going to be treated exactly the same. So that's the tour's opinion. But now, to your point, Bob, of Abala Truma Kasav, but there is one Rishon who writes, Dafka Mutter Afilulo. He says that this discussion is limited to cooking on Shabbos. It's limited to cooking on Shabbos inadvertently. So then the person himself will be able to benefit from it after Shabbos. Because, again, this is something which is uh, uh, sort of foreign to us, but he said because you didn't really uh, make such a major change by cooking the food because uh, even raw meat is fit to chew. I don't know, think of it in terms of like raw fish in your sushi. But if it could be such a thing, so there are times when certainly people uh, uh, who enjoy fish may enjoy it cooked, but since people also eat it raw, so the malacha did not um, um, generate a dramatic change in what it was before it was cooked or after it was cooked. So that's why we could be a little bit lenient. But, avalashochet, oshar malachos, but let's say we're talking about somebody, the violation of Shabbos, which he did, was he shechted an animal on Shabbos. So now there's no, there's no chewing of a living animal. That's what we call Avram Minachai. So that's something which you're not allowed to do. Or any other malacha, weaving a garment, manufacturing a shoe, whatever it is. Where before you did the malacha, the object was unfit entirely. It was not usable at all on Shabbos. Let's say a person went ahead and kindled a light, turned on the light on Shabbos. Even if it was done inadvertently, it's going to be Asr on that Shabbos. Because we're not going to be able to go ahead and matter this 
when we're talking about something where you had no ability to benefit from this in advance, and now all of a sudden when a malacha was done, so now you're going to be able to get that benefit. Even if it was done inadvertently, we can't allow that degree of leniency. It's only when you could have theoretically benefited even before the malacha. So then post-malacha, it's not such a major uh, dramatic change. But if it's a major dramatic change, so then person that there was no light on in the room, and then a person inadvertently flipped the light switch on, so now you could go into that room and you could see, so that the balatrumas is of the opinion that you would not be able to benefit from that, even if it was done bishogig, even if it was done inadvertently. Okay, so now, as we would expect, so he goes ahead and he passes, like he said, like the opinion of Rabbi Huda. So we'll read what he says. And you'll see, Bob, now which way we paskin in terms of uh, broadening this uh, the pro- the uh, the prohibition to other malachas. So Shulchan Aruch says this is in the beginning of Shin Yerches. Shin Yerches is the simon where we discuss uh, most uh, um, uh, most dominantly the halachas of cooking on Shabbos. But here, this uh, the opening sif talks about Maisa Shabbos, the consequence of doing malach on Shabbos. So Shulchan Aruch says, "I'm mevashel b'Shabbos." Somebody cooks on Shabbos. That's the example discussed by the Mishnayas. Or if a person does any one of the other malachas on Shabbos, that comes from the tour. So now, what the consequence is depends on what his intention was when he did the malacha. If he did it intentionally, he knew it was Shabbos, and he knew it was to us or to do this, and he did it anyways. So for the person who did the malacha, so then it's also for him forever. But for others, it's going to be permitted for uh, immediately after Shabbos. Others meaning people outside of your immediate family, the people who live in your home. So for neighbors, it will be permitted after Shabbos. And if it was done inadvertently, so it's going to be on Shabbos even for others. And then for yourself, it's going to be permitted right after Shabbos. For you and for others, it's going to be uh, it's going to be mutter, uh, uh, but not until after Shabbos. So here we have that if it's mazid, it's aser for you forever, for others, not until after Shabbos. If it was done bishogeg, so then uh, on Shabbos, it's aser even for others. After Shabbos, it's mutter for everybody. Okay, so that is the way Shukharach comes along and codifies this halacha. Now, some uh, important Mishnaburahs, just to conceptualize a little bit. Uh, okay, so the first thing is in Sif Cut and Base over there. So the Mishnaburah talks about what happens if the activity which a person did on Shabbos is subject to a machlokas. Some people say the activity is permitted, and some people say it's not permitted. So says the Mishaburah, let's say there's a debate whether or not this is considered to be cooking. Whatever the case is, you're making coffee, you're making tea on Shabbos or something like that. There's some debate about whether it is permitted. Or any other malacha. So says the Mishaburah, following standard principles of halacha, so in such a case, we're not going to say it's aser b'diyevet. Why? Because the whole prohibition, the whole restriction against getting benefit is only a rabbinic restriction in the first place anyways. Which is a penalty from Chazal that you, for doing an Isser, which you're not allowed to do. And here's the key. 
So anytime the weather, what you did is usher in the first place, so it's a suffix. So anytime there's a suffix on a durabanum, there's an uncertainty about a durabanum, we could always adopt a lenient position. So as long as some opinion somewhere says that what you did is mutter, even if that's not the dominant opinion, but as long as there's an opinion somewhere which says that what you did is mutter, so then there's going to be no penalty and you'll be allowed to benefit from it on Shabbos. That is one point that the uh, Mishabur makes. Then in the next Sif Katan, he says, Now let's say the malach, the, the activity which one did in violation of halacha was not a deraisa like cooking on Shabbos. He did something which is only asamid rabbanan. So does the penalty apply if somebody does something which is only asamid rabbanan? So then, says the Mishabura, I am bebir ha-grash so if you look in the in the gra, so he explains that that if you did a shogeg on something which is asadrabanan, those two factors are going to combine together, and there's also going to be no penalty in that case. So we're generating some leniencies over here that in the event that what you did, even if it's potentially a daraisa, if somebody says it's motor, no penalty. And if what you did is Asr, even if everybody says it's Asr, but it's Asr Midrabanan, they're also Asr Midrabanan plus Shogeg is also going to equal no penalty. Now, this is going to be very important as far as in, in some regards for what we're going to discuss because uh, there are many opinions which say nowadays in our neighborhoods we don't have a true Rishus Harabim. We don't have a true Daraisa public domain. So when you carry things around, even without an Eruv, it may only be Asamidrabanan. And if it's only Asamidrabanan, we already have a lot of room for leniency. Because the penalty may not apply by Drabanans if it was done Bishogig. So this is a uh, uh, this is an important point. And now in Hay, we won't read it inside, but the um, you know, we'll just skip it all together just for the sake of time. Uh, okay. So now we come to source number six. Source number six is where some of the exciting action begins. It's been exciting until now. Hope. But this is where some of the more exciting action begins. And now this, Bob, is your second point, I think. And so we said that if a person cooks on Shabbos, using the Mishnah's example, a person cooks on Shabbos, so there's going to be a penalty for having violated that malacha whether he did it intentionally, whether he did it bishogig uh, inadvertently, so the extent of that penalty is going to change, obviously. But in both in the case of uh, a malacha like bishol, you took something like a piece of meat which was in a raw state is and is inedible, and by cooking it, you bring it into an edible state. So you've physically transformed the object that you were in contact with going from a raw state into an edible state. Comes along the Chayadam, and he says, although he agrees with the tour, that this issue of Maisa Shabbos, of benefiting from Malacha, which was done on Shabbos, is going to include any Malacha which was done. But when we say any Malacha, we don't mean any Malacha necessarily. Comes along the Chayadam with a huge kiddush. And he says, When does this penalty apply? Only when a malacha is done, which physically alters the existence of whatever object you're dealing with. Meaning, where the object has changed. 
So you take a piece of cloth and you make it into a dress. So now you've transformed that, that just uh, straight piece of cloth and you've made it into a dress. You go ahead and you take a piece of raw meat and you cook it and now it is a cooked meat, medium rare, well done, whatever your uh, your preference is, but you've gone ahead and you've taken it and it's now edible. Or in any other malacha we're talking about where you physically alter the thing which you are dealing with. But let's say what I did was I took a food which is outside in a public domain and I carried it inside of the house. So I just transported it from one location to another. But the key is, but that object, that piece of, uh, of uh, beef jerky, which was in the street, and now I bring it into the house, so I didn't transform that piece of meat at all by bringing it inside. All I did was I changed its location. But it was edible when it was on the street. It's edible now that it's brought into the house. And the only difference is the location where it's now, uh, where it's now resting. So in that case, where says the Chayadim, this, this huge Chiddush, he says specifically with regards to the malacha of hotza, of transporting something, which does not involve physically altering the object that you're manipulating, that you're, that you're involved with. If you did it bishogeg, so he says, mutter afilu lo, afilu bobayom. It's going to be mutter, even for you, the person who carried the thing, even on Shabbos. So a person forgot that it was Shabbos, said, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I went shopping here of Shabbos. I was looking all day for the beef jerky because that's the, uh, the my Shabbos treat is to have some beef jerky on, the, on Shabbos, some uh, good Romanian uh, you know, beef sticks or something like that. And I couldn't find them anywhere. And I thought maybe I had left them in the, uh, in the store. And now I see on my way home from Shul, there they are on my front lawn. So I say, okay, I'm going to bring them from the front lawn into the house and I'm going to enjoy them after the uh, you know, Shabbos party, after the, uh, after the Shabbos suda. So I bring them inside. So being that, I completely forgot because when your intention is on uh, Romanian beef sticks, so you could forget a lot of what's going on around. You forget your surroundings completely. So I went ahead and I forgot and I brought it inside. So Bishogig, I violated the Isidaraisa of bringing something from a public domain to a private domain. Says the Chayyadim, since nothing physically changed about those beef sticks, so then you're allowed to eat them on Shabbos. Because the whole Isser, the whole penalty of Maisa Shabbos is only when your Malacha caused something to physically change, to be physically altered. Its physical structure has somehow been, been altered. But if all you did was move it from one location to another, from outside to inside, so the Chayyadim says, that's okay, that's not going to be us. So the penalty doesn't apply. But but if you knew that it was Shabbos and you brought the beef sticks inside anyways, so then he would agree that it's going to be Yasser not only for you, but even for others to be able to benefit from that until after Shabbos. But this is the well-known Chiddush of the Chayyarim, and it's quoted by the Bir Halacha. I was going to quote for you the Bir Halacha also, but he doesn't say anything more than the Chayyarim, so we'll just leave it as a quote from the, uh, from the Chayyarim. So here, getting to your second point, uh, uh, Bob, so what we have over here is the second daughter who, uh, in violation of Shabbos, drove food an hour and a half on Shabbos. So even though she did a malacha in the process of transporting that food, she didn't physically alter it at all because it was cooked food before she started and nothing about it changed physically. It was just transported from one location to another location, but nothing about the food changed at all. 
So that's when, when I was talking with this woman, I was thinking, hey, maybe we have a leniency we could work with over here because you have the Chayyad, who says that if it's done Bishogig, and all you did was move it from one location to another, so there may not be a penalty. Now, to apply this to this to the specific case of the Shiloh, which I had, so that actually requires another Chiddush, which here, uh, I and uh, there's a Rav in Eretz Yisrael that I'm, that I'm uh, discussed these, uh, these Shilas with, but here we're wondering whether or not, or we're, we're considering whether or not this second daughter who grew up from, as a result of circumstances of her life now, is no longer from, is she considered to be a shogeg? Is her, the malacha, which she does on Shabbos, is that considered to be inadvertent? Or since she went to day school, you know, till 10th grade when she gave up on school, uh, she knows that there's such a thing as Shabbos. She knows her mom keeps Shabbos. She knows her sister keeps Shabbos. Maybe we wouldn't be able to categorize what she did as shogeg. We'd have to categorize it as mazid because she knows that there's Shabbos and she knows she was driving on Shabbos. And then even the Chai Adam would say that it's not allowed. So that's an interesting consideration in and of itself, which has very broad applications about how to categorize such uh, such kids. But we don't need to go there uh, right now. So here we have this opinion, though, of the Chayyadam, who has this dramatic Chiddush that, that although the, um, the penalty for Misa Shabbos applies very broadly to almost any malacha which is done, one exception to that rule is going to be in the event that the malacha which was done didn't physically alter the object in question like transporting it from outside to inside, perhaps driving it in a car from one location to another. Okay, comes along Rav Moshe Feinstein. So Moshe Feinstein was uh, addressed the following question. It says over here, was, we'll see, this is Erev Shavuos in Tufshin Base. So right now we're in Pei Gimel, so this is 81 years ago. So this goes back a little bit. I won't say for before everybody was born, but it goes back before at least some of us were, uh, were born. So the question is, so the shul was locked. They forgot to unlock the shul in advance. They didn't have like we have now like codes. They could just press codes to get in. So they actually needed a key to get in. And they forgot to unlock the shul before Shabbos. So some fella in violation of Shabbos, knowing that it's Shabbos and knowing that there's not an Eruv, he carried the key through the street to shul on Shabbos. And he opened up the doors to the shul so they could get in and daven. So the question was, Are they allowed to enter into shul that particular Shabbos? And obviously the question is that a malacha was done and are they allowed to benefit from the malacha that was done that, uh, that involves carrying these keys from the guy's home to, uh, to shul? So says Rav Moshe, and we're skipping a lot of his analysis in the middle over here, but he says, He says, with regards to this fella who knew that it was Shabbos and knew that he was carrying the key through the street on Shabbos in order to bring it to Shul, and then did so, and he opened up the doors are they allowed to, are people allowed to go into shul Shabbos now that the doors are, are, are unlocked says Rav Moshe amazingly he says I have a clear proof from a tosos it turns out but I have a clear proof from a tosos that it's going to be usher to go into the shul 
And this would be true not only because the person who, who carried the keys was an adult, even if the person who carried the key was a child, it would also be us to go into the shul. And he explains, based on the Tosos, it's a very, uh, again, it just shows that Moshe is godless in terms of his analytical abil- abilities and how he's able to extract principles where that other people would not see from the, the exact same source. But he goes ahead and he proves that it would be Yasser with his analysis, three, four, five paragraphs. And then at the end, he says, V'nimse, he says that it, it seems to me, based on my analysis, that there's a strong reason to say that you're not allowed to go in shul when the doors were unlocked because they were carried through the street on Shabbos. From Tosos and the Rashba. And Rav Moshe says, I don't find anybody disagreeing with Tosos in the Rashba. But, he says, there is another eight, so there is a way that they could have solved this problem without, without uh, the, the way they did, in a different manner. If they had just asked a non-Jew to carry the key to open up the shul, so that would have been okay. Because asking a non-Jew to do a malacha when it's needed for a mitzvah, like to, to open up the shul so people could daven in a minion, hear Kriyasatar and all of that. So that would be okay. Had they had they asked Ramosha, how should we get the key? Ramosha would, would have said, you should ask a, a goy, ask a non-Jew to do it. But this person decided on his own, I'm just going to carry the keys to shul, and he unlocked the door. He says, therefore, it makes sense. You, you ruled appropriately, you paskin appropriately, telling everybody that they're not allowed to enter the shul, Rak um But what you need to do is you need to lock the doors again. That undoes the benefit they had from the malacha. undoing the original malacha. And then ask a gentile, ask a non-Jew to go ahead and unlock the door. Um, Okay, and then Ramosha says, amazing, because he had six paragraphs of, of analysis or whatever. And then Ramosha says, He says, the truth is, is that if you really want to go with this, you really need to analyze this a little bit more. Think about this a little bit more deeply. Because I didn't have the time to uh, 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 research this properly. But I'm just writing to you what seemed to me off the top of my head. So six paragraphs of analysis is just where Moshe comes up with without really giving this some uh, some dedicated thought time. Just off of the top of the head, this is what he's able to uh, to roll out. But he says, I'm giving you Yashikoch anyways for telling them that they're not allowed to go into shul when it was unlocked because the key was transported. Why? And now we get to see something that Moshe was extremely sensitive to 80 years ago would be in the 19. 19- 40s in the United States, where the landscape of Orthodox life was not the same as it is today, to say the least. Because certainly to close off any potential breach in the observance of Shabbos, we need to bend over backwards to be more machmir, to let people know how serious Shabbos is, rather than looking for leniencies, which will lead to a more lackadaisical attitude towards Shabbos. 
but says her Moshe, it still seems more logical to me. That really halachically, you're not allowed to go in shul when the shul was unlocked because somebody, a Jew, went ahead and carried the keys through the street. So that's Rav Moshe's famous opinion about this. And in the course of this, it seems to be that he rejects the Chai Adam's position altogether. He doesn't hold of that, uh, that distinction. But he goes ahead and he comes out that he says, in his opinion, this is really going to be, uh, this is going to be us. Okay, so that is Rav Moshe's opinion. Now, if that wasn't fascinating enough, now we come along to Rav Shoma Zaman Oyerbach's opinion. So he addressed the exact same question about being able to go into shul when it was unlocked because a Jew went ahead and carried the keys. So he says, um, so here, now if you look, we're in the tshuva of Mincha Shlomo Tinyana. So these are the second and third volumes where we're now reading from. And in Roshom Azam begins, he says, He says, with regards to what I wrote in my first volume, Okay, skip the exact Maramakum. He says, Demi Shevi Maftech Rishusar Rabbim the Isser, Beso, somebody who, in violation of Allah, carried keys through the street. And this is not talking about a shul, this is talking about just getting into his, his own house. But somebody who carried keys without an Eruv through the street in order to open up his house. So Rav Shomel Zaman says, I wrote in my first volume, Similar to Rav Moshe, he doesn't mention Rav Moshe, but it's similar to Rav Moshe. That you're not allowed to enter the house. And to use any of the stuff which is in the house, anything which you wouldn't have been able to access had this had this uh, the house not been unlocked uh, from the result of a a malacha being done, you're not allowed to use anything in the house whatsoever. If you would not have been able to get this stuff without the key, if all the windows are locked and all the back doors are locked and everything is taka locked and there was no way to get in the house other than the key, and the key was transported there in violation of Allah. So in the first volume of Mincha Shlomo, of Shlomo Zaman said, it's Asr. You cannot go into the house. You cannot use any of the things in the house. Then the person who's posing this question to Shomo Zaman said, but a Shmir Shabbos Kehilchasa, however, in the work called Shmir Shabbos Kehilchasa, Muva Bishmi Demutter, that the author of Shmir Shabbos Kehilchasa quotes in my name that I said that it's mutter to go into the house and to use the stuff in the house. So Shomo Zaman says, you're challenging me because in my first volume of Chuvas, I said it's Asr. And then in my name, my reliable Talmud, Rev Neubert, the author of Shmir Shabbos Kilchasa, he said over in my name that I said that it's mutter. So you're asking me, how am I going to reconcile my own two opinions, my, my, my own two statements? So this is where you see not only the, the godless, the greatness of Shomo Zaman, but you also see his incredible humility. Doesn't get defensive at all. And he says, it's, it's amazing. He says, Choshvani. He says, listen, it, I, I, my, my current thinking is, Shemistaber Yosef de Mutter. Actually, as I think about it more now, it's more logical to me that it should be permitted. Why? Like I wrote in my second statement in the Shmir Shabbos. Why? The reason why I think that that's a more logical opinion is, number one, he says, He says, I don't find anywhere, any sources, saying that Chazal penalized a person for a malacha which was done, 
It's only the object that the iser was done with that you're not allowed to benefit from. So I cook this piece of meat. I'm not allowed to eat this piece of meat. I took this fabric and made a dress. I'm not allowed to wear this dress. So all the penalties which Chazal Aser is, you did a malacha with this object or with this object. So you're not allowed to use either one of those two objects. It's always going to be no benefit from the object with which the malacha was done. Or his third example is, or if somebody went ahead and lit a lamp, they kindled the lamp in order to generate light on Shabbos. So that also you're not allowed to get benefit from that light. Because that's benefiting from the lamp. You lit the lamp, and now you're trying to get benefit from that lamp. You're not allowed to get benefit from the object that the malacha was done with. And being that, the restriction against getting benefit from malacha, which was done on Shabbos, is only rabbinic anyways. We saw that in the Mishaburah. So the only thing which is going to be usher is, so when a person transports the key, so what's the usher object? The key. So I'm not allowed to benefit from the key. I, I took it from outside in the street. I'm now inside. I'm in the private domain. I'm in my, my front yard now, which is enclosed by a fence. So I'm now in a private domain. So the iser, Rav Shlomo Zalman says, of Misa Shabbos, which says I'm not allowed to benefit from the malacha, means I'm not allowed to use the key now. So if I'm in the front yard and the question is, can I stick the key into the lock and unlock the door? The answer is no, because that would involve benefiting from the key with which the malacha was done. So that you're not allowed to do. That Rav Shomel Zaman says, I'm asking, I agree with you, that you're not allowed to benefit from. Aval, but let's say you didn't ask the Shaila till you already unlocked the door and now the door is unlocked. And now you want to know, you got to take out your thumb. Am I allowed to now enter into the house? No malacha was done with the house. Nobody did any malacha with the house whatsoever. The malacha was done with the key. So once the house is already unlocked, so that's already the second step after the object. So even though the whole purpose of the key is to unlock the lock so that I could go into the house, Obviously, that's why you brought the key, so you could enter into the house. But still, that's not part of Chazal's gzera. Chazal's penalty is that you're not allowed to benefit from the object with which the malacha was done. When you unlock the door, there was no malacha involved in unlocking the door. You weren't allowed to use the key, but you already did that. So once the key has already been used improperly, now you're going to say it's usher to enter into the house? Where'd that penalty come from? That, that's not the malacha which was done. So why should that be usher? He says, other than opening the door in the first place. And now he says, therefore, Shomel Zalman says, I'm now of the opinion that once the door is already open, there's no restrictions anymore against being able to enter into the house or enter into the shul and being able to sit on the couch and eat the food and daven and use the sedorm and all of those things because the whole iser could only be on the key itself. It can't be on what that object did and then the uh, the uh, the ramifications or the corollaries which, which extend from there. 
So here we have this fascinating debate between uh, between of Shomel Zalman and Rav Moshe about what happens in this case where the malacha was done with the key, you transported it from the street to your house or from the street to the shul, and now they've opened it up. Now are you allowed to go in? So Rav Moshe would say that since the only reason that you're able to enter is because somebody transported the key in violation of halacha, so even going in is included in the penalty. And that's why Moshe said you should not go in in that case. You have to lock it and then have a, a, a goy go ahead and unlock it. Whereas the Shomel Zaman says, no, once you went ahead and once somebody went ahead and unlocked it already, there's no iser against going into the house. That was never part of Chazal's penalty and therefore it was something which was, uh, which was going to be okay. So that is as far as these, uh, these uh, ramifications or these, uh, these applications of this restriction, this rabbinic penalty, which we call Misa Shabbos. Um, in that case, so uh, there were a number of uh, reasons why it, we decided that we're just not going to say anything and just let things be as they were. Um, part of it, you know, between you, I, and whoever else watches this, but you, I, and the lamppost, uh, and that is that there's an idea, there's a famous uh, Nesivas who says that if somebody violates a Durabanan Bishogeg, they didn't realize that they were violating something which is Durabanan, they don't need to do tshuva. Tshuva is not necessary for an inadvertent violation of a Durabanan. So he decided that since the daughter, who uh, the, the uh, married daughter, who's receiving the food, so the only restriction she would have, the only potential restriction she would have against using the food was this rabbinic penalty called Maise Shabbos. Since she herself has been on a journey, and she probably is unaware of the fact that there's such an iser called benefiting from the malacha, which her sister did by driving on Shabbos. So even if it turns out that it would actually be aser, it would only be an iser drabanan. And if she doesn't know that what she's doing is iser drabanan, so who says that you need to go ahead and tell her when she would need to do tshuva anyways? So we decided just to shave al So We decided just to be silent about it and just let things be as they were. And uh, since I, I didn't get any... Uh, uh, feedback from it, follow up uh, from it. So I'm assuming that nobody asked any questions about it, and all was uh, all was good. Yes, Ellen. Could the uh, car be considered like the key? And the car is usher, but the what you transported in the car is not. Right. So so part of it is. So I I would have to. I didn't ask because it was getting close to Shabbos over there. So this mm-hmm. was a, it was a Shiloh out of New York. So I don't know where they were traveling from, uh, which is going to take an hour and a half. You know, sometimes it could be from, you know, Queens to the five towns or something like that. It could take an hour and a half or Queens to Borough Park, you know, it could take an hour and a half, depending on the Friday traffic uh, it is. Or it could be something which is, you know, an 80 mile journey or something like that. Um, but yes. So the question is whether or not the food had gone through some sort of public domain. There could be some places like in Manhattan, which may be a Rishus Harabim, and it may involve an actual Isidar Isa, probably be only an Isidar Banan which would make it much more lenient because then Isidrabanan, possibly Shogeg, so we could stack lots of things in our favor to say that it would be Mutter anyways. But <laughs> I did ask for her to send me a map of where she's starting from, where she's going to, and all the places she's going to be driving through to determine whether or not there would be a, uh, a real Rishus Arabim over there. But one malach, you're correct, one malacha is the driving, but then there's another malacha, the fact that the food was transported from a private domain possibly through a public domain and then back into a private domain. Besides that, maybe outside of the Tchum, which is also another malacha which is being done. There's lots of things which could happen when you're driving for an hour and a half, possibly. 
Rabbi Schaffer, what about the fact that the uh, sister two uh, would be a, a more prominent thing on a basis than the food? Um, in other words, the the sister's driving herself, and that's prob probably the primary thing that's being carried, and uh, wrongly, but nonetheless, does the food is the food even an object in this issue? Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, I would have to think about that uh, more, whether or not that's considered to be carrying. I, I, I think so. Um, I mean, that would be the same thing if they were going like by wagon, by Labdavka car. You know, so it's, it's not, it, it wouldn't be a new child. I'd have to look up whether or not if you transport something on a wagon, something's already on a wagon as Shabbos begins, you continue to transport. I think so. I think that's your, considered to be your malacha. I, I know from Chosha Mishpat, for example, that uh, if I drive my car into, uh, into an object, and smash it. So I can't say that that was not me who did the hezek, it was my car. Because as the driver, so I'm responsible for where the car goes. That's considered to be Adam Hamazik rather than my Shor Hamazik or something like that. So I assume the same thing would be with regards to Shabbos over your transporting, that I'm the one who's transporting. I just happen to be doing it with this Kaylee called a car, my Kaylee car. <laughs> Or something like uh, something like that. Thank you. All right. All right. So thank you all for coming. Appreciate it. Thank you, Rabbi. Take care. Have a good Shabbos, and we will see you next week. So we should be on Tuesday at the uh, seven Central Standard Time and Thursday eight thirty. Eight thirty. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Good Shabbos, good everyone. Good Shabbos.